Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. Many of us forget or don't know that some of the most difficult chapters in the Bible are often meant to prepare us for difficult times. The reason for that is simple. Life is full of hard times. In those times, God wants us to be faithful and encouraged in His faithfulness. Daniel chapter 8 brings into one of those times with a prophecy hundreds of years into the future as God's people face one of the most vicious enemies they have ever faced before. During such times, God's people can rest knowing our God knows the future. Here's Pastor Jim in part one of his message, I Can See Clearly Now. Well, several years ago, we were doing one of our community outreaches and I saw a pack of teenagers coming our way. Now, if you've ever been on one of our outreaches, you know, once comes the pack of teenagers, there goes Pastor Jim. And so I see them coming, and as I'm going, it goes something like this. I'm praying, God, would you please give me something to grab onto so I can begin a conversation with these people, uh, with these young people that, who would want to not want to have a conversation with some old man. And usually I end up making fun of some guy with holding hands with his girlfriend, and I'm like, what are you doing with him? And something like that. But this one was an easy one for me. One of the guys was wearing a Bob Marley shirt. So I stopped him and I said, hey, dude, are you a Bob Marley fan? It's really easy because now all the young people, a lot of them have the same music habits that were, you know, music groups that I listened to. And so he said, yes, I am. And I said, let me tell you a little interesting bit of history. I said, when I was very young, your age, or you know, maybe just a hair older, I said, I went to the first concert that Bob Marley did. Back then, it was Bob Marley and the Wailers. Uh, Bob Marley did at Madison Square Garden, and I think it was the first concert that he did in the United States of America because the government did not want to let him in because he was, he was a Rastafarian and such a big pothead and had a lot of you know, controversy surrounding him. So uh, after they got over the shock of how old I was, we began to talk about, about Bob Marley and reggae music and one of them said to me, well, how did you get into reggae? And I said, actually, I was introduced to it by one of my friend's brothers who was much older than we were. He was about 10 years older than we were. And he introduced us before Bob Marley was famous when we were really young to a guy by the name of Jimmy Cliff. And Jimmy Cliff was sort of the forerunner of a guy like Bob Marley. And um, one day... You know, you got one of those things that you uh, scan through on your radio. I was scanning through the radio just to hear what different stations were on, and I came across a song that Jimmy Cliff had done uh, in 1993, which was five years after I became a follower of Jesus, that he recorded for a movie that was a remake of a very popular song from the early 70s. And I'm going to start to sing the song, and now it's going to be in your head. Uh, for those of you who are old enough. And uh, it's called, I Can See Clearly Now. Some of you are like, I can see clearly. Yeah, I know, I know. You're, you're singing it already. In some ways, I Can See Clearly Now resembles the way I sometimes think about life and even biblical prophecy. Uh, 
By the way, young people, on the way home, you might want to ask your parents if they ever listened to Bob Marley, and that should open up a very interesting conversation. <laughs> but it goes like this. I can see clearly now the rain is gone. I can see all the obstacles in my way. Gone are the dark clouds that had me blind. It's going to be a bright, 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 sunshiny day. And then that line repeats. By the way, in the parentheses, that's what you're supposed to sing, but I will spare you all having, having to sing it. Most of us know that in life, especially when we are considering the faithfulness of God, and as we've said before, if you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, it really helps to have what we call a bank of faithfulness, a savings account of faithfulness, where you have times in your life when God has been faithful so many times that you're like, well, if he was faithful then, I have no doubt that he's going to be faithful again. And when you get to that point, you realize a lot of times that looking back actually helps you look forward. Here in Daniel chapter 8, a chapter that a lot of pastors, even if they're verse-by-verse guys, skip over. They're just like, it's too dark, it's too difficult. Seven's a little more difficult interpretive-wise, but it's very dark. They skip over it because Daniel gets a vision that's 400 years into the future, and um, which would make it about 2,200 years from when we live now. And to quote the song, in Daniel's time, it was raining. He's a prisoner of war in Babylon. He's been there about 50 years now. But in the vision, it's not raining. It's absolutely pouring. And for many people today, even followers of Jesus, you you note that a lot of people seem to experience, and let me again quote from the song, the dark clouds that had me blind. So many people right now feel that they are living in the midst of such dark times. But don't miss this. Some of the most difficult chapters in the Bible, some of the most difficult sections of the Bible, are meant to prepare us for difficult times. So sometimes you're like, why does God put this stuff in the Bible? It is to prepare us for difficult times. God's divine prophetic revelations call us to faithfulness in difficult times, as well as God wants to encourage us and comfort us in times of suffering. God shows his power to us over the dark clouds, even evil rulers. While a lot of times in prophecy we get lost in the characters and what the future brings, it's so important that we see what is the real message that God is trying to uh, communicate to his people over the ages. I said Wednesday night that you could look at a lot of the different symbolism and who the people are, but if you take it this, that God is in control of this world, even in control of his enemies and the timetable of this world, that will take you 
all the way through, no matter what year you are born, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And so we don't want to miss the hope that God gives to his people. God shows us his power over the dark clouds while he calls us to faithfulness, even over these evil rulers. And he promises for followers of Jesus a bright, sunshiny day. And it will even be that. And you say, well, how, how can you prove it? And God would say, well, I back it up with creation. I back it up with miracles. I back it up with Jesus rising from the dead. In other words, God says, I can deliver. I can deliver on the promises I make to my people. So Daniel's vision, again, which moves 400 years ahead. We're at about 550 BC now. He moves ahead about 400 years, maybe 375. And he pictures a powerful world leader who is trying to destroy the faith and worship of the true people of God. Like many people feel today, it was a time of, of great darkness. It was a time of of, of really of hopelessness for, for many people. And so a lot of people would say, well, I'm going to skip over this section of the Bible. And a lot of pastors do. But yet, honestly, and I'm not trying to you know, be melodramatic about it, but I believe to skip over such difficult things in the Bible is spiritual malpractice. Because life is not always going to be happy. It can be, you can be full of joy, but that's just the way life is. It's, it's going to involve pain and suffering and difficulty. And once again, Daniel, what he's doing is God is giving him this vision. It's not for him. It's not for his time. God is using it to prepare the people of God for 400 years into the future. He's using it to prepare the people of God for centuries to come. He's using it to prepare the people of God for today. And he's using it to prepare the people of God for tomorrow. The thug's name in the vision, and he is a thug, his name is Antiochus Epiphanes. He's a Greek who rose to power after Alexander the Great. Now, one of the things about the Greek empire when, when they took over the world, is not only did they just take over lands, but they brought their culture with them. So Greek culture, we see even up to the time of Jesus, they had one common language across the Roman Empire, so the Romans kept it. The culture was very similar. It was a very, very powerful empire, but very influential empire. And so this, this guy, Antiochus Epiphanes, rises to power during this time. Now, his name's not mentioned in the chapter. Why? Well, because it's 400 years in advance. You say, well, how do you know it's him? Do you know if we went down to a local university and we found somebody who was an expert in history at this time, and we said to them, hey, if you, we were to read Daniel chapter 8, you know, placing it you know, 200 years before Jesus came, do you think it's talking about Antiochus Epiphanes? You know what that he or she would say? 100% yes. 100% yes. Matches that Antiochus Epiphanes matches history and what happened in Jerusalem in its entirety, if you read the whole chapter. 
You would say to them, so you believe in the prophecy of the Bible? They would say, no, I believe it was written afterwards. It's too precise, it's too exact for someone to have actually written it 400 years in advance. And that's where, if you're a Bible-believing Christian, you would disagree with that person on that. Now, interesting, his name was Antiochus, but he gave himself the name Epiphanes because it means God manifest. So that's sort of his last name. You know, Antiochus, God manifest. And kind of conceited, wouldn't you say? And so what happened was, I love it, because the people back then are not so different than the people now. Do you know how we give nicknames to people? And we're like, if it's the opposite, well, back the people back then called them Antiochus Epimanes, which means Antiochus the madman. <laughs> so that was his nickname among, among the people. And he represents the spirit of Antichrist. Now, some would say he represents the Antichrist, very good possibility he does. Uh, you'd want to be careful about taking some sort of a typology or some type of a, a, a thing like that from one scripture, although you could say there's other ones as well. But we know that the spirit of Antichrist has existed in world history and still does today. You say, well, can you, can you give me an example? Adolf Hitler, the classic example, Adolf Hitler. Okay, give me another one from today. Well, let, let's go, let's take a, a voyage. And it's actually somebody was talking to me from, uh, who was from South Korea. I didn't know they were here in the last, uh, after the last message. Let's go over to South Korea. What do you know about the guy in the north? Korea is largely a Christian nation. A lot of Presbyterians. We won't hold that against them. And uh, <laughs> we love Presbyterians. We're just a non-denominational church. Do you know what a non-denominational church is? No, I'm asking you. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> so, but, so here you have the people in the south, and we have a peacekeeping mission over there. Maybe that might have been, not to be too political, but maybe that might have been a better way to characterize Afghanistan than to call it a war at the end. But we have a peacekeeping mission over in South Korea. Do you know what's going to happen if we leave South Korea? they're going to experience the spirit of Antichrist. Because the crazy guy from the North, YouTube probably just flagged me for saying that, but the crazy guy from the North is going to come right in. So, so we're, we're keeping him at bay. And so we know what the spirit of Antichrist is. So none of this surprises us, while evil, pain, and suffering may seem to have its day, we learned last week that the Lord and his people, we will have our day. Yet, for a, back in Daniel's time, a follower of Yahweh, now that the Messiah has come, we would say a follower of Jesus, were, and we are, to remain faithful, to trust God in a world that makes faithfulness very difficult. Can I say that again? We are called... As followers of Jesus, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm glad you're here. Please say hi on the way out. You're watching on the internet. Get in contact with me here during the week. Love to get to know you. You say, I know people say, nobody would ever tell you they're not a follower of Jesus who comes here. It happens, actually happens quite often. And so we're glad that you're here. But we are to trust God as followers of Jesus in a world that will often make following Jesus very difficult. They were... We were. Daniel's time, the people he's prophesying to, 
were to, we are to, trust a sovereign God from one generation to the next for what could be a long time. Now, let's be honest. I know that is not a popular message, but it's the truth. You know, so you see on TV, guys, they only preach the positive message. People are like, I always want to hear the positive message. And then you're like, well, look at all the people in the, in the stands. You know, Jesus said, beware when all men speak well of you, for so they did of your fathers, the false prophets. So when I see guys on TV, everything's great. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, big audience, I just go, false prophet. You say, that's judgmental. Talk to Jesus, don't talk to me. He said, that's the way, that's the way it is. That's what they do to gather their crowd. And let's always remember that discipleship, being learners and followers of Jesus, enter into the process of sanctification, becoming more like Jesus, that is a long, slow process. So Daniel's in Babylon. Why? Why is he in Babylon? Well, because of the sin of the people of God. They had sort of, they engaged in something called syncretism. They combined Yahwehism with letting the world creep in and other types of religions creep in. They mixed them together. And once you mix anything together with following Jesus or the gospel or what they were worshiping in the old, the God of the Old Testament, you've lost it. You can't mix it. And so because of the sin of the people of God, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians came and they conquered Jerusalem and they took prisoners of war captive, Daniel being one of them, again, down there now about 50 years. But in this vision that Daniel has in chapter 8, Daniel is in Babylon, but he's looking 400 years where the people are back in Jerusalem. They're back in the land. And this madman who thinks he's God is in Jerusalem with them. And he wants to stop what we call second temple worship of the true people of God. Why do we call it second temple worship? Because Nebuchadnezzar leveled the first temple. And then when the people of God were allowed to leave Babylon and went back, you can read all about this in Ezra and Nehemiah. When they went back, they built, it wasn't as nice, but it doesn't matter. They, they built the second temple. You say, why doesn't it matter? Because the temple was symbolic of the presence of God. Now, we're sitting here in a warehouse. Did you forget we're in a warehouse? We're in a warehouse. Okay. So we're in a warehouse. And What's the most important thing? Two things. Number one, we're here and God's here. That's it. Does, Pastor Jim, no, doesn't matter. Okay, you're watching at home. It matters. You're with us and God is with us. That's what matters. God doesn't care about the, you know, what, where you're worshiping. He just wants his people to come and worship him. And so there they are. But why would a God allow this? In fact, in verse 13 of this chapter, Daniel asked the angel the same question we said we asked. He asked, he asked the angel, how long is this going to go on for? Verse 11, we get a little bit of the answer. He, talking about the madman, even exalted himself as high as the prince of the host. So what is he saying? 
This guy exalts himself in the temple as if he's God himself. That's what he's doing. And by him, the daily sacrifices were taken away and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. So what does he do? He goes into God's house and he rearranges the furniture. That's a no-no, right? We don't do that. But that's what this guy does. Why why does God allow this? Look at verse 12. Because of transgression, some of your versions say rebellion, an army was given over to the horn, the horn is the, the guy with the power, to oppose the daily sacrifices, and he cast truth down to the ground. He did all this and prospered. Now, Bible scholars debate whose transition, whose transgression, whose sins, whose rebellion. Some say it's Antiochus. Some say it's the Jews. Some say it's both. Now, while I would say it's both, when we get to chapter 9, Daniel prays a prayer of repentance for the nation. Now, it's very interesting. Daniel repents for the nation where he is. He repents for the nation in the future. And history tells us that at this time, Israel was not faithful to God as they had allowed much of Greek culture into their culture. And what did Greek culture bring with it? Greek religion. So Greek religion was paganism. And so what happened was they were syncretizing. They were practicing Yahwehism and Greek paganism. And here's the deal. God loves his people too much to allow that. And he will. And he often does allow whatever it takes to get his people back to the place where he wants them. If you're a parent, you know something about that. You know that sometimes you have to exercise tough love. Sometimes you have to, you have to do what it takes to get your child to obey. So it goes something like this. For God's people in Jerusalem, enemies were constantly coming at them. That city was leveled more times than a kid in a sandbox. I'm telling you, that place was leveled so many times. And I don't mean the kid leveled, I mean when they're making sandcastles. And so God would be like this with the enemies. You're not coming in. You're not coming in. You're not coming in. Until such a point in time when the people were like, God, we really don't need you. We really don't need you. And God goes, okay, come on in. Come on in. Why does God do that? To get people's attention to start following him again. So that's why, loved ones, I constantly beg you, and I will never tire of this, please do not believe the people who say it doesn't matter how followers of Jesus live. Does it, please don't believe the people who say it doesn't matter how followers of Jesus worship. The New Testament teaches us that our whole lives is, a, is an act and a gift of worship to God. So of course it matters how we live, and there's tons of commandments in how we are to live. Now, some people will say, that's Old Testament, Pastor Jim. Yes, I agree where we are right now is Old Testament, but the New Testament actually calls us to a higher standard. 
In Galatians chapter 5, we're called to the law of love. If I gave you a list of like 10 things to do, you know, wear your hair a certain way, dress a certain way, you know, get up a certain time or something like that, 10 things and God would be happy with you. Most of us could knock out the list. But when he tells us, hey, you just got to live according to the law of love. Oh man, God, I need your help with that one. (laughs) The book of Hebrews tells us that we are called to gather together to worship. Jesus said we are to worship in spirit and in truth. So again, let's think about it. You're smart people. I know a lot of pastors say, ah, the people in the churches aren't very smart. I always, whenever I hear a pastor talk like that, I go, the people in my church are smart. They are. They're no dummies. I don't know why they come here. I guess they feel sorry for me, but they're no dummies. Think about it. Why did God allow the Babylonians to destroy the first temple, which was symbolic of God's presence because of their sin? That's why he did it. Thank you for spending the last half hour with Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Changed by Love is designed to help you deepen your relationship with Christ no matter where you are in your journey. Teaming with Changed by Love financially makes it possible to reach thousands, many more than you and I could reach on our own. We are stronger together than we could ever be apart. Please consider a generous gift today. Give safely and securely online at changedbyloveradio.org. You'll find our address there too if you'd rather send a check. You can always reach us by phone at 862-217-9686. It takes a team to encourage thousands. You and Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney, changedbyloveradio.org.